Welcome back to the Coach Mike Podcast. This is Mike Bear. And last week, I had the opportunity to exclusively interview Frank Tassone, whose rise and fall from grace is one of the most complex and multi-layered dramas of the 21st century. This story begins in 2004 when it is revealed that Frank, the beloved school superintendent from Long Island's Rossland School District, took part in a multi-million dollar embezzlement scheme. It rocked an entire community and sent high-level officials, including Frank, to jail. This past Saturday evening on April 25th, HBO premiered Bad Education, retelling this epic tale of lies, greed, and betrayal. Bad Education, starring award-winning actors Hugh Jackman, Allison Janney, and Ray Romano, has received critical acclaim across the board. Yet one man who bears the unthinkable burden of its very creation and lives every day filled with regret isn't sharing in those same rave reviews. Frank Tassone joins us today with his thoughts on the film, Hugh Jackman's performance, and how his never-ending struggle to forgive himself for a crime committed more than 20 years ago continues to haunt him today. Frank, how are you? I'm okay. We spoke a week ago, uh, right before uh, the premiere last night of HBO's Bad Education, and I had asked you over the past week to try to just connect with your friends and family and look at as little press as possible. Were you able to do that? I, I was. I did connect with family, received tremendous support. It, it's been a challenging week you had a lot of anxieties leading up to the movie coming out and then last night it premiered and i asked you to have a notepad and just kind of jot down as you were going through the movie any feelings or reactions that came up for you i did that and then i could not sleep all night so i got onto my computer and i actually word processed my feelings and some of the things that i felt as as the movie progressed so tell me, what was the journey like for you watching it? It was difficult, very difficult. Um, I recognized that what I did was wrong and I broke the law, but that was 20 years ago when I finally thought, you know, I could um, go forward. And for it to come all back 20 years later, brought back feelings that were hurtful and that were warranted in, in many respects. So it was a, it was a challenging time to watch the movie yeah so the first moment when you started to uh have a very strong reaction was at what stage was it as soon as the movie opened up or what was your I, as soon as the movie opened up i i was was stressed and upset I, I guess i just felt ambivalent about the movie itself but i did take notes and i did talk about the things that i thought were good and i and there were things in it that were true and good. What are those? What was true and good? You know, that scene where I'm with the youngsters on beanbags, that was something that went on on a regular basis, where I met with students in every school at least once a month, about 20 students, and I didn't want to hear teachers' names. I just wanted to hear, you know, what we were doing well and what we could improve upon. I did do that. What also was true was when I went to conferences like I did in Las Vegas, I did go to the meetings and I did learn a lot. That was that was true. I also was always very positive with all of the parents and all of the students. I always tried to meet their needs 
and do my best that I could do. And the movie presents that at the beginning. So, so in terms of it being the true story versus not true, if you were to give it a percent, how much of it would you say is the percent's true? I would say maybe 40% of it was true, 40 to 50%. Okay. And 40 to 50% probably was definitely was not true. And what that was not true was the most bothersome thing that you saw. Well, for one thing, my wife, the memory of my wife, I think there was a lot of implication, or at least I felt that I didn't have a wonderful marriage and I didn't love her so very much. And I did, you know, with the photograph right there. And and that I know where that came from, because somebody had said that to Newsday when all this happened, that I had made up the photo. And, and I almost felt it was disrespectful to her. And the other part was that I have a wonderful relationship with Stephen. We have a 45-year relationship. And I did not keep secrets from Stephen. We did go through a period where we had an open relationship. And when I went to Vegas, I did meet someone. But it was, and what bothered me terribly was never a former student. And I got to say that the scene with you and the former student, what an awkward scene. It made it seem like... Um, I, I don't know. I was just watching it back and I was like, what, a, what is this? <laughs> it's, it's crazy because, you know, I have never, ever in my 36 year career in education had any relationship with a student in school or someone who had graduated. Now, did I have a relationship with someone at that time? Yes. And Stephen knew about it, but never with a former student. Did you have any feelings around how they painted you as a gay man? Yes, I did. I, you know, that, that upset me as well, because I'm not ashamed of being a gay man. And again, they made it seem somewhat sordid. And we're, we're in the year 2020. Yes, when I began teaching in 1968, as I told you, I was passed over for an assistant principalship because I was gay. And so I had to hide it. In some ways, that superintendent was correct, because if I would have told Board of Education I'm gay, then I never would have gotten the position. So I told the true story, which is that I am a widower, and Stephen and I are not married, but we are domestic partners, and both he and Joanne are the most important people to me. And and so that that, that bothered me, that upset me when the um, detective questioned Stephen, and he, he implied that Stephen didn't even know I was married. All of that just was not the case. And, and I don't understand why they had to bring my sexuality into the film. You know, the scene where, you know, and I, and I did have a regular book clubs, but that particular one, the PTA would auction me off, and I would go into a luncheon at one of their homes, mm. and I would discuss one of sometimes Dickens novels, but other novels as well. And when we went into the kitchen, the mother tried to kiss me. And I thought that never happened. No parent ever acted inappropriately with me. And I was very taken aback by that. Plus I never dry dishes. <laughs>
This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. But also, what about the young reporter that it looks like that's how the story broke was because some student really, was any of that true? None of it was true. None, None of, of that it. was true. Remember, I told you it was an anonymous letter that was sent out during the winter break. Mm-hmm. And that's how the story broke. Now, whether or not after I left. Someone wrote something. She yeah. wrote something. That may be very true. Yeah. But that was totally false. I wonder why. Do you think they just didn't know there was an anonymous letter? Or do you think it's like better entertainment to create this character? Well, they, I know they knew there was an anonymous letter. Mm. Everybody knew that. There are not very many secrets in Roslyn. How accurate? I'm, I'm just I'm, I have a lot of curiosity since watching this. How accurate was the depiction of Pam by Allison Janey? I thought it was pretty accurate. Really? I thought she did a really wonderful job. A lot of that was 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 Pam. How her personality and everything. Yes. So, and the whole family was involved, which I knew nothing about. But I thought she was excellent because Pam was like that, and mm. she was very vivacious. She did know a great deal about finance. I trusted her implicitly, and I made the terrible mistake, which we talked about before, about when she didn't cash my checks, stepping forward. And then I got myself into it deeper and deeper. But I thought Alice and Janie was, to answer your question, I thought she did a very good job. Was the niece real, the one that asked Pam? Did she work? So that character was real. What wasn't real was I knew nothing that she was involved. I really had absolutely no idea. When we found out she was, she always worked downstairs. We just changed her responsibilities from finance to something different. And they put her in that isolated room as though she was being punished. And that that wasn't true. She just had different responsibilities, but she was at the same desk with all the other secretaries downstairs. Where, where do you feel like in watching it back? Because it's got to be so interesting because you, you did a horrible thing. You admitted you did it. I you did. went to prison. You became headline news. You know, even since it's come out, some people have messaged me and they're like, I'm being too kind to you, right? That somehow I should be really upset. In my mind, I'm like, look, you you did it. You admit it. It is what it is. In watching Hugh Jackman play you, what would you want to say to him? I would want to say to him that he did a very good job portraying me. I understand he was on the Today Show and on another talk show. And on the Today Show, they said something to him, you played that horrible superintendent. And he actually defended me and said I was a very good superintendent. And I, I was surprised when I heard about that. But I think he did a good job playing me, especially at the end when you know I'm in prison and I walk out and I see what I lost because I did something so terrible. That really hit home for me because I did lose all of that because of greed and because 
I made a terrible error and I broke the law. When Pam was caught in the movie, it claimed that you fought for her not to go to jail, but then you refused to talk to her. Is that what happened? No, what, what happened was I really tried to stay out of it because we had brought in an attorney who said, you don't have to report her. All she has to do is pay back the money and resign. And I really did try to stay out of it because on one hand, I didn't want the police to find out because that I knew it would implicate me. And on the other hand, I thought to myself, maybe it all should come out now because everything comes out in the end. And it did. And so I lived two years worrying about it happening and coming out. And it did. In fact, it did. And during those two years when you were still there, were you still taking money from? Oh, no. Or did you stop? You stopped. Of course I stopped. Okay. So did you speak to Pam again after this all went down? Yeah, a couple of times I did. You guys, because you were that close, right? We weren't. Actually, I had two other assistant superintendents that were outstanding as, as well. One for curriculum and one for personnel. Actually, I was close to all of them. I never had a, a personal relationship with Pam. And I think I said that the last time. I really had no knowledge that her whole family was involved. And and so we we did talk. Not as much because she was doing her own thing. I think she had opened a laundromat. They say in the film that she worked for her husband who did have a car dealership. I really don't know what happened, but I didn't talk to her frequently. Is there any relief now that it's out? I'm not sure. You know, I, I, I still feel very awful. It took me back 20 years again. Our talk helped tremendously, and I am trying to forgive myself or at least say what I did was terrible because it was, and I broke the law. But I also remember you telling me you went to prison, you paid back the full $2.2 million, and now you have to go on. Mm. And, I, and I hope I can. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when there was a period of time when we were speaking across the country at events, you know, everything's been put on hold uh, because of the coronavirus. But uh, a lot of speakers actually have been to prison before. A lot of people have a past and uh, they use their past pain or fear or greed or uh, a moment of not being themselves as a, as a teaching tool, as, as a way to actually help or teach. And a lot of people find they get empowered through doing that. What is a way for you to move on? Uh, the universe seems to keep bringing it around you. It's like, Frank, you're not going to forget about this. So what do you do with it now? Do you have any ideas? When I first was released... I worked in a uh, the Hudson project up in Austin, and I helped the director who had been in prison for 25 years. It's a college program for inmates. Mm. And I did help him and work with him in terms of how to be a good administrator. And then he had wanted me to teach English at Austin. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that when I, I went there, it was just too much for me to go back into the prison. Prison life is, is a very difficult situation. You know, when we were talking, I, I had really wanted to go into schools and talk about my mistake and what I had done and what was wrong, but he was really doing that. Who was doing that? The head of the Hudson County 
okay. project, yeah, um, which is a college program, as I said, for inmates. So I would like to do something to help people not make the terrible mistake that I did. In the last 20 years, I know you said you've gone to, you know, a few different places telling your story and using it as a vehicle to teach people what not to do and how to get to it. How often, how many times have you done that? Maybe 10 or 20, perhaps. How'd you feel when you did it? I felt very good to, to, to explain what I had done and how it's something you don't want to do because it will change your life forever. I felt very good about that. I also, while I was waiting to go into prison, I was reading to the blind. I also volunteered in the church. So perhaps what I need to do is more of that. Well, I have an opportunity. So every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time, Los Angeles time, I have a empowerment group. So every week we have different speakers. Uh, Last week, I had a nutritionist. Week before, I had a drag queen talking about getting comfortable in your own skin. Week before that, I had Lady Gaga's creative director talking about finding inspiration in isolation. And every week, there's a different topic. And it could be too raw for you, but you could speak at the one this Tuesday. It's done over Zoom. There's hundreds of people log in. They're all very nice. And you can use your story and start to tell it because right now you're not able to go anywhere. Uh, And it could be healing for you and other people can relate. And a way to just kind of start telling your story instead of letting everyone else kind of tell your story. I'd be very interested in that. Absolutely. If you're down, you could do it this Tuesday. And it's free. So everyone who goes on, it's free. Some people have crazy histories. So like, I just think it could be a a good spot for you also to hear from strangers who don't know a a lot about what's going on. And you have a very interesting story. And and I just think it's also a vehicle for you to get through your own healing. Yes. At a certain point, if you're just reading headlines or there's a piece of body, a body of work that's about you and you're not in your own safe way telling your own story, it starts to feel like we can get overwhelmed with the stuff that's not true or the negativity. And it it could just be a good way for you to get plugged in. But I'll send you some information after this. It's free. Like people from all over the world will be on it. Sounds like something that may help me um, in terms of my own redemption and my forgiveness, even after our talk, which helped tremendously. What about it helped you? Some of what you said about people commit all kinds of crimes and do all kinds of things, and you paid your due, why are you still punishing yourself? I would like to very much be a part of a program like that. Perhaps I could help people not make the terrible mistake that I made and not have to live with it as I have to live with it. Like I'm an ex-meth addict, okay? Even when I was younger, I sold a little meth. Did horrible things. Come from a good family. You know, I went to Fordham in New York and ended up dropping out of school. Had a lot of emotional issues. But, like, I didn't get caught. Some, a lot of people do get caught. The people who get caught suddenly are like, oh, my gosh. It's, it, the reality is it's like, and it's why I flipped my profession into my own struggles and getting to the other side of it and helping other people. Because... Otherwise, I don't want to live that story that I was over, you know, 18 years ago. And there has to be some light that comes in. And I find that healing happens and forgiveness happens within ourselves when we're able to use our past mistakes 
to help other people in their lives. You know, we all have so many years left on this planet, right? And it's how do you start feeling and thinking differently and helping other people? Use your story to help others. There's this whole thing that's like, oh my God, education, education. This happens in businesses every day. This happens in big businesses, small businesses. It happens in the government. This goes on. And I think if you're able to, you know, be honest and vulnerable and talk about it, it ends up potentially having less situations like this happen. And, and we'd like that to happen. There's no question. I wouldn't want anybody to make the mistake and to break the law the way I did, especially when I had a wonderful career going. And as I said, at the end of the film, especially when he walks out onto the stage and, and the expression on his face, this expression of loss. And that's exactly how I felt. When you look at like kind of the trauma, what moments are still coming up for you with your past? Like what are the, the top three headline moments that still keep living with you? Well, one is that I committed a crime and that was a terrible thing. Second is that I took resources that I had no right to. That comes up all of the time. As I said, I worked in four of the districts and never did I do anything like that. And here at the end of my career, I go and do that. And it kind of negates all the good that I did. I feel in my heart it negates all the good that I did. And what also hurts me, the third major thing is that parents felt I betrayed them. And I worked so hard. I mean, I really put effort into um, meeting their children's needs and meeting all staff needs. I still hear from staff members in Roslyn. But let me let me ask you one more question, though, because you went to prison. Yes. Nothing was from that period of time either that was traumatic or scary or. Oh, it was very traumatic because I first went to a um, maximum orientation prison. Where they have surveillance on you and your. Well, where you go into a huge, they call it a bullpen and they make you strip and face the wall and hose you down and then they cut all your hair off, and you were locked in your cell 23 hours a day. And I was having lunch, or dinner rather, when we came out with people who had murdered and raped. And then I went to a second prison. Again, I was in protective custody and spent most of the day within uh, a tiny cell. And that lasted about two more years. And then I was moved to a really positive prison where they had a lot of education going on. And I taught two or three courses a day. I took many of the courses as well in criminal behavior to better understand what I had done. And then finally, I went to a work release prison. And in that prison, I handled the whole educational program that on the day I left, the superintendent came in and thanked me. And the officers who would sit outside the classroom when I was teaching prisoners how to write a check they knew nothing of this. They had never had a job. And they said, well, you know, you really do a great job. And I said, well, I should. That was my whole career. That was my life. And I got a great deal of satisfaction from helping them. At what point did you get into like acceptance? Because I imagine at first it's just surreal. Yes. Do you remember a, do you remember a moment of being in prison? You're like, 
I'm just going to accept this for what I have to accept the food for what is I got to accept where I'm at. Like, how long did that take for you? I would say maybe a few months. And then I finally said, you know, this is where I am. And I have to do a very good job and be a very good inmate. And I was, I, you know, I, I worked hard at what I was asked to do. I never disobeyed an order. The correction officers were very fair, almost all of them. And on the day that I left that second prison, everyone came in and said to me, we're sorry to see you leave. And then in the third prison, I had a wonderful, a really wonderful um, parole officer. And she really believed in me. She was the one who said, I really hope you get parole, but you have to go into this presumptive work release program first because you might not. Mm. But it took me a number of months to finally accept the fact that here I am. I'm not going anywhere. This is going to be my life for the next four to 12 years. And I, I had no choice but to follow the rules and regulations and do everything I could to stay out of trouble. So it was a very traumatic experience. And it was something that, again, I brought upon myself. I don't blame anybody but myself for it. Well, I think um, I'm uh, good to give you an opportunity uh, after this to, to speak. <laughs> I think it's going to be really good. I think it's going to be uh, helpful for you and it's helpful for others because I don't believe people should only be given platforms when they have perfect track records. I actually find that those people are, um, A, their stories are a little bit boring, but B, they there's such great life lessons that happen when we really F it up and when we really make a mistake. And then when we own it, we get to the other side of it. And so, you know, I'm going to help you kind of after this, um, and anyone listening, you can look it up too. It's just coachmikebear.com backslash group. Anyone can add their email. It's free. It's a safe space. Anytime anyone's negative on there, we kick them off. They get blocked and banned. And so it's just, it's, it's a cool group of people. I think that several things are wrong about having a movie come out about you. But, you know, I guess legally this is allowed to happen. It's a bummer that they you know, they kind of made being gay sinister somehow. Like it just seemed awkward and odd. And I just think that's just unnecessary. Also, it just seems the Rachel character was non-existent and totally fabricated, which it felt off watching it. I could be biased, but it's just, <laughs> you're watching it and you're just like, who's this girl? She's the next, the next Ronan Farrow. You know what I mean? Like, like what, what is happening? Well, you know, here? she may have existed after uh -huh. the crime was found out. I don't know, but I, I felt as you did, you know, I, I really didn't even know to whom she was speaking when it was her father Yeah. and coming to my apartment and that was all fabricated. Yeah. But I think what disturbed me most was that in some ways, Joanne was, she didn't deserve, you know, I never wore a wedding band like Hugh Jackman did because I was no longer married. You know, my wife had passed. The fact that I had to lie about it was painful. You know, Stephen and I had separate telephones. We had separate bedrooms, um, separate baths. Um, and today we're very close. But gay people should not be treated that way. And, you know, I lost a really good position in 1979 because I was asked the question about being gay and I admitted the truth.
I think moving forward, you know, I appreciate talking to you last week, also this week, and uh, giving your honest opinion and feelings. And, you know, I think my suggestion to you is, and I kind of wanted to cover everything with you about what you thought was right, what you thought was wrong, what was true, what was not true. And I really believe this next season of your life is about you telling your truth and telling your story. And when people do that, they don't feel ashamed. They don't uh, get villainized as much and uh, they're empowered. So if there's anything that I think would be the most helpful for you, it is you getting back to teaching people what you did wrong and how to make things right. And I think you're an example of that. Just getting to know you, of course, you know, and, and I've only chatted with you twice, but uh, I really appreciate, you know, you talking to me and trusting me. You know, I look forward to helping support you in telling your story. You've made this so much more comfortable for me. I mean, you, you have a way about you that allows you to feel, you know, to feel good about telling the truth, to, to, to admitting you know, your crime and, and to really moving forward. And that's what I want to do because the pain has, especially with this new movie coming out for the last two years, you know, it was, it was upsetting and painful because I thought finally it had been put behind me, but it wasn't. And then the changes in the movie, you know, the things that were not true disturbed me terribly because, you know, they, they just weren't true. I don't, I don't know why my sexual orientation had to be brought into it. I don't really understand that. I don't know why that was important. And I certainly wasn't arrested in Las Vegas and I wasn't thrown on the floor. I turned myself in in New York. And I understand it's Hollywood. I understand they have to make it more dramatic, but that all of that never happened. Well, I think now's the opportunity for you to start just like you've done with me over the last few weeks is to tell your version of the story that's your truth. At the end of the day, it's about what brings you the most peace and healing and so that you and Stephen, who are together, can engage in conversations that make you both feel better and that aren't paranoid or worried or anxious or losing sleep, but get back into your flow. Your past doesn't define you. It's just a part of your story. You deserve to have a good rest of your life. So I hope so. You know, I... I really would like that to be the case. I'm not there yet. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm really not there yet. Maybe, and, and I know what you're asking me to, or suggesting that I do, will help me a lot. And others. And uh, that's what I mean, others yeah. especially. Because I don't want to see anybody else make a mistake like I did. Thank you, Frank, for talking to me. You're very and welcome. I'll send you Thank details. You. Thank you. And I'll see you Tuesday evening if you're still up for it. I'm up for it. Do it. I will absolutely be up for it. All right, man. We'll talk soon and uh, see you soon. And Coach Mike, thank you very, very much. I really appreciate all you have done for me. You got it, buddy. I want to thank Frank for sharing his story with us. And so you know, we reached out to HBO today and we gave them the opportunity to comment on Frank's thoughts. They declined. The biggest takeaway for all of us is to be open-minded and be able to forgive. As Gandhi once said, yes, I'm quoting Gandhi because I love this quote. The weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe, download, stay tuned, 
stay connected, and I will talk to you all very soon. Thank you.